I've just been really encouraged this morning to to be back uh, singing together. It's been four weeks since I've been here in song worship, so it's, I'm really just blessed uh, by the time we've had so far. Um, so thanks to everyone who's been facilitating that time. Uh, this morning we are on our final part of First Corinthians. So this is the final, final, final passage. Uh, our last sermon, our last message on First Corinthians. We began this series on the first Sunday in September 2018. <laughs> so it's only taken us four years, over four years. Uh, obviously we've interspersed that with different books of the Bible and, and topical sermon series. Um, we've not spent four years entirely in First Corinthians. That would be like a sentence every week. <laughs> uh, but I hope in the time that we've had in First Corinthians, I hope um, you've been greatly challenged and even changed uh, by what it is we've spent time looking at. It's not an easy book, let's be honest. There's, there's a lot of controversy around uh, this book. And even today, as, as different people have uh, understandings that maybe contrast uh, around what a particular passage means, but we can be thankful that I feel the church is more unified as a result of having looked at First Corinthians over, over that time, over the last four years. And particularly as we've learned and responded to God, to who he is, to all that he has called us to be. Uh, I love how Paul just led the, the, the Corinthian church towards that focus on the gospel. Um, so it didn't, didn't matter what issue they faced, there was just this constant coming back to the reality of the gospel and what that means for each one of us. Uh, this morning we're not going to have a kind of farewell to First Corinthians. Uh, we're just going to take another look at another passage uh, within this book. Uh, similar to the last few weeks at first glance, uh, it might appear like we're getting the dregs of Paul's writings here. Um, like we're moving the straw around the milkshake. Um, but I want us to see this morning there's so much more that we can learn from these last uh, verses. Similar to what Jason was sharing and I've shared as well. At first glance, it might appear like this is just kind of basic uh, content, but there is actual pure doctrine for us to extract uh, from these verses. Uh, to do this, let's have a look at 1 Corinthians 16 and verses 19 to 24. So I'm reading from the CSB, Christian Standard Bible. The words are going to be up on the screen as well. So Paul, Paul closes his letter in this way. Uh, the churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla send you greetings warmly in the Lord, along with the church that meets in their home. All the brothers and sisters send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. This greeting is in my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Our Lord come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's just take a moment to pray. So, Father, we... We just thank you that, that we can come, um, as we've just been praying about, we can come from that place of, of mercy. Uh, and we can come knowing that, that you have not treated us as our sins deserve, but we can come from that place where you love us and you accept us because of you. And so, Lord, we just pray that in this time of, of hearing from your word and applying your word to our lives, that this would be a work of your Holy Spirit. It wouldn't be a work... Um, that, that we try and do uh, by ourselves. It would be a work that you equip us to do. So Lord, would you guide us and direct us as we take time to study your word, to unpack it, to apply it to our lives. And Lord, forgive us for ever thinking that we can do this on our own strength. Help us to always see that it is only by your power and it is for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
So last week was Remembering Sunday, um, and as some of you will know, I think most of you will probably know, uh, I was here for a short time last week. Uh, then I started to realise I had spots in my hand. Um, I could feel spots in my foot as well, and some spots in my mouth. Um, all of that made sense because James had hand, foot and mouth. Uh, and I was just about to start, uh, as we thought about the service and all that was going to take place uh, during that time. Um, so I'm just so thankful for Paul and TJ for uh, stepping in uh, and taking on my, my responsibilities. And I think you would all agree with me, they've done an absolutely amazing job uh, last Sunday. So, so thankful for the two of them. So it was the strangest feeling having to walk away from a morning service. Um, it's almost the opposite of what my experience is. When, when we gather together, like, like we're gathered together right now, it's the opposite of, of what I would normally experience. We walk in, and what's the first thing that we say to one another? Or what's the first thing we should say to one another as a church family? You, hello, yeah, hello. <laughs> How's things? How are you doing? You all said that in unison, that was quite strange. But, um, so we say hello. We say, how are, you, how are you doing? How are you getting on? People then hopefully ask how it is that we're doing and how we're getting on. It's such a simple act. And yet it's something we say, we do, and often we don't really think about its significance, the importance of saying hello. Uh, we may not even see it as something important. We might just see it as, as a custom. There's maybe no heart behind it when we say hello. And um, we just say it because we've always said it. And it's something that everyone else does. And yet saying hello, recognising someone's presence in person, face to face or in writing. Uh, and writing could be through email or, or message. All of that is deeply biblical. Deeply biblical. I'm not saying email is biblical. <laughs> I'm saying the act of recognising and saying hello is something that is deeply biblical. And our passage this morning the word that's used is greetings eh, or greet. Not to be confused by the Glasgow definition of that word. Um, it's a Greek word, aspazontai. Aspazontai. Now, if anyone is in my missional community, um, does that word ring a bell to anyone in any way? Uh, let me just explain from the outset. I've been given permission just to, to share this as well. We have a, a Greek lady in our missional community. Uh, she's someone who loves connecting, coming along. She asks loads of good questions. And without fail, when she's a part of our MC, when she's with us, she's really connected to all that we're talking about. And her, her name is Aspasia. Aspasia. So we basically have someone in our missional community, someone connected to the life of this church, whose Greek name is one of the main themes in our passage uh, this morning. I thought that was really cool. <laughs> To top it all off, this passage is a Pauline passage, so I'm not kidding. Uh, so Paul says, Aspazontai, okay, Aspazontai, greetings or welcome. And he says it twice in verse 19, twice in verse 20, and once in verse 21. Now, it's a commonly used New Testament phrase. Uh, you find it littered throughout the books of the Bible, particularly in relation to the early church. The word greetings is used 21 times in Romans chapter 16. So at the end of Romans, Paul was just constantly recognising uh, these greetings from different people towards the church in Rome. 
And for those who are Scottish here this morning, you could look at this and think Paul's just saying, all right. <laughs> There's so much more to it than that. Uh, to understand what Paul says here, we must understand who it is that is sending their aspizontai, their greetings, to the Corinthians. So we need to understand there's actually a really important theological reality behind what it is that, that Paul is saying here. Uh, as he relays these messages from these different believers to the church in Corinth. Uh, in the first half of this passage, uh, we have five uh, of these, sorry, four greetings, four greetings. And Paul here uh, is passing these on. And the first example we see of this is in the first part of verse 19. So the first part of verse 19 uh, Paul says, the churches of Asia send you greetings. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Now, the churches in Asia would have been local assemblies around Ephesus where Paul was working at that particular point. We read about that in Acts uh, chapter 19 and verse 10. But also the seven churches in Revelation, in Revelation chapters 2 to 3, they would be included within these churches. And in the second and third parts of verse 19, we also see two more groups who send their greetings. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla, they send greetings warmly in the Lord, along with the church that meets in their home. So we see this, this group of churches in Asia. We also see Aquila and Priscilla. And we see Aquila and Priscilla's church that meet in Aquila and Priscilla's home. So this couple, Aquila and Priscilla, they were a prominent New Testament couple, a prominent New Testament couple. They were used mightily for the Lord. Uh, and we see this at different points throughout the New Testament. To give you one example, Paul remembers and recognises something of their faithful labour in 2 Timothy 4 in verse 19. And not only that, but we see something of their ministry journey that they take within the book of Acts. This, this book is a narrative of the early church. And we see how God used Aquila and Priscilla. They had come from Rome, Acts 18.2. They moved to Corinth, Acts 18.2-18. And then to Ephesus, Acts 18.26. And they may have still been in Ephesus when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. So in light of all of this, it makes sense that this couple would send their aspizontai, their aspizontai, their greeting. They had this ministry connection with Corinth. They had spent time with this church and they had, they had enjoyed their fellowship. They had ministered to them. They had been ministered by them. And notice this morning, it wasn't just Aquila and Priscilla, as we've already mentioned. It was a church that met in their house. And here we get a glimpse into the life of this couple. We didn't just have this, this sort of separation of sacred and secular. They had this church family that met in their house. Everything was worship. To this couple. We see it here, we see it in other examples in the New Testament. They used their home, possibly at the risk of persecution, as a place where people could come and worship. Let me just encourage this church family, when you use your home for the gospel, you're being very New Testament. When you use it as a means of blessing other people, you are in some way reflecting the goodness and grace of God. Of course it's difficult to do, Sometimes it's taxing, but you'll never be more free than when you use the things that God has given you in a way that blesses and encourages other believers. And the fact that the whole church, it wasn't just Aquila and Priscilla, the whole church sent their greetings to Corinth implies that this, this group of believers knew what, what Paul was doing here in this moment. Paul was writing to Corinth 
And this church knew that Paul was writing to Corinth. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. The church that met in Aquila and Priscilla's house were attentive to what Paul was doing and who he was connecting with. That's fellowship right there. So Paul was doing what he was doing, but he was communicating with this church. This church knew what Paul was doing. They were relaying this message through Paul onto this church in Corinth. So they were integrated into all that was happening in the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. And so they send their aspazontes, their greetings. So we have the churches in Asia, Aquila and Priscilla, the church that met in their home. They're all sending their greetings in the Lord. And in verse 20, Paul says this, All the brothers and sisters send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, Paul here is not speaking of a new group separate from the churches in Asia, Aquila and Priscilla and the church that met in their home. He's not speaking of this brand new separate group. Instead, the Apostle Paul here is making a very important point about how important he saw these brothers and sisters in Corinth. Paul here wants the Corinthians to understand that everyone knew that he was writing to them. So he's basically covering all bases. He's wanting the church in Corinth to know that every believer that he's connected to in his particular context knows that he is writing to them and that he wants to help them and minister to them in the midst of all the different challenges that Corinth is facing. And the Corinthians would have known that these believers weren't just sending aspazontai, but were also praying for them. No doubt about it. We send our greetings to you. But deep down, implicit within that greeting is the fact that these other believers that Paul's with, they're praying for Corinth. They're praying that God would continue to do a work. So Paul sends these greetings from these individuals and groups, and then he gives us general command. Greet one another with a holy kiss. An interesting phrase. <laughs> it's not the only place we read about this holy kiss. We find it in Romans 16 and verse 16, 2 Corinthians 13, 12, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 26. <clears throat> it was a custom of Paul's day common to everyone, to both believer and non-believer. And it appears that Apostle Paul in the early church in the New Testament had taken this cultural custom and they'd sanctified it, they'd redeemed it in some way. The holy kiss was a way of building other people up in the faith. It was to show others, I love you and I care for you. Now, we would express our love and care in different ways. Um, in a sort of Scotland context, in terms of your particular culture, it might actually be different. This is something you may, pra you may practice, and it might be a, a reflection of, of what your culture does and practices. But within the West, within Scotland... Uh, we would not necessarily practice a holy kiss. Uh, what we need to do from these words is to take the motive, the desire, the drive behind what Paul is saying here and what Paul and the early church did. The heart behind it is a, is a recognition, a love, an aspazontai towards other believers in Christ in a way that is culturally appropriate. Does that make sense? So I've heard of pastoral nightmares in Scotland. <laughs> uh, people have read this, taken it literally, and then started to kiss their friend. Without warning sometimes, I think the natural response would be a Glasgow kiss rather than a holy kiss. 
So what would be a culturally appropriate response to this notion of a holy kiss in our context? That's a question I want to ask as we think about these words. And I think the most obvious and culturally sensitive way of expressing our love and recognition for others would be embrace, a hug. It's so simple and yet it's so powerful at the same time and so appropriate to something that we can do in a way that builds up that builds people up and equips people with a, a fresh realisation that God is, is with them, God is for them, and they're a part of this bigger church family. So Paul here, through all of these different groups, wants the Corinthians to understand that they are welcomed, they are loved, and Paul and the brothers and sisters in Christ who are with him are walking with the Corinthians in the midst of all that they're going through. So, it's not necessarily the case that Paul was communicating to these brothers and sisters he was with exactly what was going on in Corinth. But Paul wants the Corinthians to understand that these brothers and sisters in Christ are with them, for them, and praying for them. Then in verse 21, Paul takes over from whoever was writing this letter on his behalf, and we find this, this greeting is in my own hand, Paul. This greeting is in my own hand, Paul. Paul was someone who used secretaries to write down his letters as he dictated them. And the Corinthians knew this. And they would have visibly seen in this letter the handwriting change from this secretary to the Apostle Paul. So they would have known 100% this was from Paul. This was from Paul. It wasn't someone who was pretending to be Paul. No, this was Paul. Paul loved us. Paul cares for us. And Paul was writing these words as a means of encouraging us. This would have removed any doubt in their hearts and minds that the person who was giving them instruction was anyone other than the Apostle Paul. But it would also have spoken to the Corinthians of the fact that so important was this sentence to Paul. So important, the fact that Paul says greetings in his own handwriting, that he chose to physically write it himself. So think of all the different sentences in 1 Corinthians and the only one that Paul writes himself is this one. Kind of it highlights just how important it is to be welcoming, to show greetings towards other people. So from these four greetings, Paul moves on to these four doctrinal realities. So he has these four greetings from different groups, individuals, and then he has these four doctrinal realities. And these are short, these are sharp, these are to the point. They're undeniably important for Paul because they're the final words that he gives to Corinth. They're also very different in their content. Um, you could argue that what the Apostle Paul is doing here is in many regards a summary of the entire letter. So he has these four, he has these four doctrinal realities and in many regards these are a summary of all that we've read in the last 16 chapters. So in the first part of verse 22 Paul says this, if anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Strong words. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Now, without question, this is an unusual way for Paul to end one of his letters to a New Testament church. And it perhaps highlights how much of a theological and pastoral mess the Corinthians had got themselves into. The fact that he says this at the end. Paul here wants them to understand they can't keep playing with fire. They can't keep playing with fire. 
If they continue on in this path of disobedience and lack of love towards the Lord, then they're demonstrating they never loved the Lord in the first place. That continuity of disobedience and rejection of God and not loving God, not fulfilling this great command, highlights they never really got it in the first place. So Paul is saying here, greetings from me, from all these believers. We love you guys, but don't ignore the fact that if you have not made yourself right with God, then there will be serious eternal consequences. This is a, this a flavour of what it is Paul says here. Paul continues, and he shares what is his second doctrinal reality. In the second part of verse 22, he says, Our Lord, come. Our Lord, come. These words, our Lord, come, were in fact commonly used Aramaic words. It's, a, it's an Aramaic phrase that was used by the early church. Does anyone know what it, what it is? Maranatha. Maranatha. It's a single word that the early church used. It's a, it's a prayer. It's a hopeful expectation of what God will one day do. Through his return, Maranatha, Jesus come, Jesus come. And Paul intentionally used this word as he writes to the Corinthians because it was commonly used amongst the early church in Corinth and Ephesus, throughout Asia, and all of these different New Testament contexts where the early church existed. They all had this, this use of Maranatha, this hopeful expectation that Jesus would one day return. And the two sentences in verse 22 are connected. So Paul wants the Corinthians to understand the curse that was on them if they did not love God. And he wanted them to respond in faith and love to God because of this second doctrinal reality. Jesus was coming soon. So make sure you're right with God and make sure you're right with God because Maranatha, Christ is coming soon. There's a connection between the two. What a reminder for each one of us this morning to live a life that is worthy of God because one day he will return. I think one of the, the most steadfast and surest ways to obey Christ is to realise that Jesus will one day return and one day we will all have to give an account for our lives in terms of what we said in terms of what we have done, in terms of what we have thought. This is more than an expression that Christ will return. As I've said already, this is a prayer. There's a longing, there's a desire for Christ to return. And how often we can get so caught up with the things of the world that it's almost, I think, part of us would at times see it as a disappointment. For Christ to return we would be disappointed because we're so consumed by all of these things that we're enjoying in our life, within our world. It was a prayer for Paul. It was a prayer for the early church. It was a longing, a desire for Paul. It was a longing and desire for the early church. So may it also be a prayer, a longing, a desire for each one of us as well. To pray like that is to have eternity on our mind. It's to be so expectant in our hearts of what God will one day do that we can't help but cry out, Maranatha, Jesus, please come. And I'm deeply challenged by that in my own life. Deeply challenged to long for eternity, to be with him. And Paul then moves on to the third doctrinal reality in verse 23. We read this. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. This is something we've touched on already. If you remember, Paul starts this letter with grace. 
1 Corinthians 1.3, we read, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we have Paul finishing this letter with grace. So he starts with grace, he finishes with grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And not only that, there's some powerful passages on grace in 1 Corinthians. My favourite is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me is not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Paul wants his Corinthians to understand that yes, we need to get ourselves right with God. And yes, Maranatha, we need to be a people who are longing for Jesus to return. But also, yes, in light of these two, in light of these two realities, you have to live this life in light of God's grace. All that has been given to you, all that you stand on today, all of it is an abundant gift of God. It's an abundant gift from God. It's grace, grace, grace. Uh, J.I. Parker says this about the grace of God in his own life. He says, I am graven in the palms of his hands. I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me, and there is no moment when his eye is off me or his attention distracted for me. And no moment, therefore, when his care falters. Amen. So God doesn't just initiate this faith. God sustains this faith every single day. It's constant. The fact that we can sing today is an act of grace towards God on a Sunday morning, the 20th of November, 2022. An act of grace has taken place this morning so that we can sing and we can be attentive to what God's word says. And this doesn't abdicate us of responsibility, but it should help us realise that our success in walking with the Lord has already been achieved for us through his cross and through this amazing gift of the Holy Spirit. So we see these three different doctrinal realities and Paul closes with this final reality for these believers in Corinth. My love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. And this, this final sentence of 1 Corinthians, we've made it. It's unique. It's unique to Paul's letters. He doesn't say this at the end of, of any other letter in the New Testament. Probably with good reason. He has went through a lot in these last 16 chapters. Paul has challenged them. Paul has rebuked them. Paul has exhorted them to follow the way of Christ. And there perhaps could have been lingering doubt in the Corinthian mind. But Paul was tired. He was fed up with these believers. So the last thing that Paul says here is, I love you guys. I love you. So after all that he has written, Paul wants him to understand. He loves them. He cares for them. And he loves them in Christ Jesus, knowing that God has the very best for them as a church family. And in writing these words here, Paul is actually fulfilling what he says in 1 Corinthians 13. Starting in verse 6, Paul says, Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, love, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, or love never fails. This is something we actually sang yesterday at Sam and Elisa's wedding. You know, 
I find it fascinating that Paul describes love and then demonstrates love in the very letter that he describes love. He shows, he's not just commanding these things, he's exhibiting these things to Corinth. Truly was a man of integrity, a man that we can imitate. So as we think about following Jesus, and as we think about the complexity of our lives and the challenges that we face, the busyness of our calendars, let's be honest, we're entering into the, the kind of crazy season. It's the second half of November and December, there's, there's so much going on and there can often be a lot of challenge and you can be tired, you can be overwhelmed, you can be misunderstood, you can be neglected, you can be accused, you can be uncertain, you can feel all sorts of different things pressurising your life, putting weight on your life and on your heart and soul and mind. My encouragement to you in the midst of all that you're facing, take hold of the fact that love never fails. God's love never fails you. And our love towards God and towards other people should never fail. Should never fail. Because our identity is not based on these crazy circumstances we might face, all of these different challenges. Our love is dependent on God's love towards us. No matter what you do in life, no matter how you feel, make sure you're someone who's living out this great command. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength and soul. And then to live out the second greatest command. To love your neighbour as much as you love yourself. And in doing that, you'll reflect this love that's been poured out in your heart. And in turn, you'll be a shining light to a lost and hurting world. So this morning we spent time thinking about four greetings from different individuals and groups and four doctrinal realities. And as I've been meditating and reflecting on this passage over the last few weeks, I was just I was struck by the parable of the prodigal son. Because that's probably one of the most powerful pictures of welcome, uh, of greeting. And how it is this parable is a reflection of so much we spent time looking at uh, this morning. The prodigal son story, it's a story of welcome. The younger son turned his back on his father, demanded this, in, this inheritance, essentially said to his father, I wish you were dead. I want your money. So he left. He sinned. He suffered. He soon realised his folly. And not expecting to receive a loving welcome from his father, he prepared a speech as he returned. And what happens? What's the response? The father saw him from a distance. He ran towards his son. He embraced him. He kissed and blessed him. He demonstrates everything that Aspazontai represents. And in this picture of welcome and embrace, we see this stark reality of sin and its separation from God. We see the longing we have for things to be better, Maranatha. We see the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and we see the abundant love that he has for each one of us. So the story of the prodigal son, in many regards, is a marrying together of these four expressions and these four doctrinal realities as Paul closes with these words to Corinth. So may it be so for each one of us this morning. May we outwardly express the love of God in our lives through our love for one another in light of these doctrinal realities that reside in our hearts and minds day to day. So may we see you May we say welcome and give blessings to other people 
But might it be rooted in the fact that God has changed us and transformed us by his love and grace? As we close this morning, we just want to create space uh, for you to respond to all that we've looked at together. Uh, and this may be the moment for you to make a decision to follow Christ. Maybe you've never made that decision to consciously follow him. To be someone who is free from this penalty of sin and to live a life that is rooted and grounded in him. And I would just invite you, if that is you, there's space here this morning for you to receive prayer, for you to make that decision to follow him and watch how God changes and transforms your life through his grace. This morning, you might be in a, a place where you feel overwhelmed uh, by a situation or circumstance. Maybe you need prayer for healing. Again, we would just give whatever it is you're facing to God through prayer. So we have tea and coffee after this time, but there's also space to receive prayer in all of these ways. And don't miss out on the opportunity to be blessed by the unity, encouragement, and aspazontai of this church family. Because there's no point in us coming together, singing songs, hearing a talk, having tea and coffee, and then just walking away, completely unchanged. We need to use this time as a way of encouraging and strengthening each other. And this morning we come to this table and we thank God that he has welcomed us. He has opened the door through the Lord Jesus Christ, his body given to us, his blood shed for us. This means our sins are forgiven. We can be free from this pool of the world, the flesh and the devil. If we love Jesus today, I invite you to come to this table. And the power of what we do in this moment is in its simplicity. The bread representing Christ's body, the cup representing his blood. We take and eat, we take and drink, we give thanks. Thank you, God, for welcoming me into your family. It was on the night in which he was betrayed that Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. And in the same way, he took the cup. He said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. As we take this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Maranatha, he will return. So let's take a moment to reflect on all that God has said to us through this passage. Let's respond in worship. Let's respond in prayer for one another. Let's come to this table. If we love the Lord, let's come to this table and take this bread and drink this cup. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you that, that you uh, are with us. We thank you for how you've led just this series and, and how you've guided us. And Lord, we pray that, that we would just continue to be changed by your word, that you would continue to speak to us, help us to understand what it means to, to welcome one another, but help us to also recognise that it is only in light of the welcome you have shown us that we can then be a, a welcome and a blessing. Lord, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Would you help us to be men, of, men and women of the word and prayer? And Lord, may we be shining lights to this community. We pray for the lost people in Denison and Ridry and East End. And Lord, we pray that they would come to a saving faith. We pray that you would use us for that purpose so that you might be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.